Hi, this is Pastor Tim Crick, and you are listening to the weekly sermon podcast of Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire, a part of the ELCA, Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can find us online at www.htelc.com. We worship on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m., where you are never too late and there is always room for one more. We hope you can join us sometime, and we hope you find the sermon you're about to listen to helps you to understand and experience the depths of God's love for you and the entire world. Thanks for listening. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man has been glorified, and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. As I said at the beginning of the service, um, the gospel lesson is one that we just recently had. Uh, the people who put together the lectionary, it's done in two different ways. One, you have uh, the Sundays of the year, and then you also have the special or the holy days in which they pick scripture for that also. And so sometimes, as we are now seeing, they overlap. Because on Monday, Thursday of this year, we had this reading from John 13. So when this takes place in John's Gospel, it's a night in which he was betrayed, and we heard these words at that time, I give you a new commandment, to love one another as I have loved you. So as I said earlier, I thought instead of uh, trying to think of something new to say, of what we kind of just talked about uh, right before Easter during Holy Week, I thought, you know what would be fun? Let's talk about Revelation, because that's so easy. Uh, no, it's not easy, but I think it's a good thing to do, uh, especially with this passage. Uh, I really enjoy this passage, and it is one, uh, if you've been to funerals frequently, it is read during funerals as well. But I not only want to talk just about Revelation 21, 1 through 6, but talk about the book of Revelation in general. Now, I'm not smart enough. Uh, if you haven't figured it out by now, to come up with most ideas on my own, but best ideas are stolen, right? So, I'm going to present to you some of my own thoughts, but the ones that uh, you'll probably like or agree with come from somebody else, and the ones that are confusing will come from me. But, in order to really get a better grasp of Revelation, I spent some time with a book called The Rapture Exposed and is by a professor of Lutheran theology at Lutheran School of Theology in Chicago, Barbara Rossi. It's a message of hope in the book of Revelation. We are fortunate we had it in the church library, uh, so I was able to grab that and do some reading within it to add into my own understanding or own uh, resources that I have. So I first want to start talking about the book of Revelation before we get into this passage, because there is a lot of I don't want to say discrepancy, disagreement on what Revelation is. And in fact, when there um, is kind of the scriptures to what we have, the Bible, 
today on whether Revelation should even be included. And if I remember correctly, Martin Luther was not a big fan of the book of Revelation, didn't want it to be in there. And because it is so confusing to understand, because it is written in a way in which if you don't know what it means, you're not supposed to know what it means. And if you understand what it's about, you'll understand what it's about. But here we are so far after the fact, um, it's hard to understand what it means because of the way in which it is written. So, first, from what I've been able to, I don't say what I've been able to as if she's not very clear, but um, two ways in which you could say Revelation was written for. One, as a book of prophecy, and one as a book of apocalypse. In the book of prophecy, I think that's where we get a lot of misunderstandings for it. Um, a prophecy isn't about what is going to happen. It's more about what might happen. It's a warning. Think about the books of the Old Testament prophets. Micah, Jonah, Amos, right? People have veered away from God. They were the oppressed people under Egypt, and they have gone from being oppressed to being the oppressors. And so the prophets speak out a word of warning to say, if you, veer, if you continue on this way, here is what's coming. But it always ends with a word of hope, a word of promise. Right? So think about a Christmas carol. Who's that main character in a Christmas carol? Scrooge. He's visited by three ghosts. Who are those three ghosts? Past, present, and future. When the ghost of Christmas future comes along, is he showing Ebenezer Scrooge what is going to happen or what may happen? May happen. It is not set in stone that this is what is going to happen. And so often, that is a way in which Revelation gets misinterpreted. As if... This has to happen. All this destruction is going to happen, and then Christ is going to come again, and it cannot be avoided. Has anybody heard of the concept of the rapture? Anybody read the Left Behind books that came out 20, 25 years ago? Right? I met most. I read most of those books. Right? I think this is a reason why it's important that we talk about Revelation because that is such a gross misinterpretation of what Revelation is about. Because the way those books portray Revelation and a couple other unrelated verses is to say some point in the future maybe half of you are going to be raptured up to heaven I'm not going to say what half <laughs> but half are going to be left behind Grover no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that part of the joke didn't go as well but then half are going to be left here right it doesn't matter I've actually seen uh, bumper stickers in case of rapture, this car will be left unmanned. Has anybody seen something like that? <laughs> right? As if in the middle of it, we're just going to go somewhere. And then you have seven years of tribulation in which you're kind of given a second chance, but yet there's so much devastation and destruction and the Antichrist comes. And then at the end of that seven years, Christ comes again. So Jesus actually comes twice during the second coming. So maybe there's three comings in order to finish the job, and then there's a thousand-year reign, and I'm not sure what happens after that thousand years. But that is interpreting Revelation not as prophecy, as a warning. That is interpreting Revelation as this has to happen. 
and then, right, the end of the world will come. Or that is a sign of the end of the world. That is not what we believe about Revelation. Think about Ebenezer Scrooge, Ghost of Christmas Future, Old Testament Prophets, a warning. And then even the way the rapture plays itself out or in left behind, as if these are the events that are going to happen, that's even misinterpreted as well. It's not like we're going to be lifted up somewhere, you know, any of that. And in fact, the concept of the rapture is a very recent concept. So I think this is important why we talk about this too. It actually came about not even thought of at all until about the year 1830 in which a pastor in, I think, believe it was Glasgow, Scotland, John Nelson Darby, heard a vision of a 14-year-old girl talk about Christ coming and then coming again. And then he developed it into what we call the rapture. And it didn't have a great uh, following until, has anybody have heard of the Schofield Reference Bible? So you might have heard of that, right? Anybody go to Barnes & Noble or a Christian bookstore and you think, what Bible should I buy? And there's like 50 different Bibles, right? So I can be very particular about what Bible I recommend. And that is because of things like the Schofield Reference Bible. What uh, Cyrus Schofield did, he took this concept of John Nelson Darby, and he took the Bible, and then it was one of the first, if not the first Bible, that included commentary along with the Bible and headings. Not numbers and verses, but commentary and headings. And this becomes one of the best-selling Bibles of the early 1900s. And now, because... People have a hard time reading the Bible, correct? So you look for things to help you read it. So now a Bible comes out with the things to help you read it right embedded in its pages. Before you had to buy a separate book, a reference book or whatever, but now you buy a Bible with the commentary right in its page. So I'm reading a verse. I don't know what that means. Let me go down here. Oh, that's what it means. Does that make sense? So that's why I can be very particular about what Bible to read or what Bible to choose because we read the commentary or those little sidebars as if they are part of Scripture itself. When in reality, what that is, is someone or a group of people's point of view on what that Scripture means. And we can have different opinions on what that Scripture means. And there are good theology and bad theology. So I want to reference you to something that I believe will give us the best understanding of who we believe God to be. Uh, and so I don't just say, well, any Bible will do, because there are different versions, different commentaries that go along with it. And so one came out that really kind of pushed this uh, vision of the rapture and of the book of Revelation of something that has to happen, when in reality, before 1830, it wasn't even a concept, not even a thought in any of Christianity. There's not even a stream in which it is, excuse me, in which it was thought that that was agreeable. It's a very recent thing. But also then remember, when it's a prophecy, a word of warning, you also end with a word of hope. The word of hope we get is this part, is this reading this morning, Revelation 21 and 22. It is how the Bible ends. It is the culmination of what's going to happen. In the end, God wins. Mourning, crying, and death will be no more. What's interesting, it says God will dwell among God's people. That word dwell is the same one that's used in the Gospel of John, not the same John. Right? The Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he dwelled with the people. 
God came down. Revelation isn't about us going up to meet God, us being raptured. But if you really want to use the word rapture, it's more about God being raptured down here to us. That God comes to dwell with us and make all things new. Not to destroy everything, but to renew everything. Make better than it was originally intended to be. The word of hope is all of that pain, all of the fear, all of the chaos, all of that, right, will be no more. In fact, in that reading that we just had, the sea will be no more. It's not that there won't be seas or oceans, but if you remember in the way in which Genesis 1 started, in which there was just waters over the face of the earth, it means more like chaos was around, and God took that chaos and made something out of it, that chaos will be no more. That pain, suffering, evil will be no more. Who, who look forward to that day? And then our hope is actually in some way in Christ, the first fruits of the resurrection, that day has already come in some way. It's coming and it has arrived. So as Lutherans, we believe in this tension now but not yet. We get glimpses of it. It will come in fulfillment later on. So that's one way in which we can read the book of Revelation as prophecy of what may, warning, but with hope, in the end, God wins. Now there's another way to look at it also. Apocalypse. There is powers that rule this world, as we talk about chaos, evil, destruction, anger, all of that. And it is about those being defeated. So normally it's a warning if you're part of what's causing it, right? You need to be turned from your ways. But this was written in a time to a group of people that weren't part of the oppressive society. They were part of the society being oppressed. Early days, a few decades after Jesus was, uh, had walked the earth and it was illegal to be Christian. And if you proclaim Jesus is Lord, you could be put to death. And so Revelation is written not so much in one view about the end of the world that is to come, but the end of Rome that rules and is oppressing will come. Does that make sense? It's to give hope to people in the midst of hopelessness. Book of warning for those who need to be warned with hope as the end promised. And I have a book of hope to those people who have lost hopelessness. Power of Rome will not last. Can you see, if it's illegal to say Jesus is Lord, why something has to be written away in which you don't know what it's about, you don't know what it's about. But if you know what it's about, you'll know what it's about. Does that make sense? No. <laughs> right? I have a book that's labeled The Open Secret. And I think that gets to that idea, right? It's, it's a secret, but it's open for, every, for everybody. Think about it this way. Anybody ever see, there's a movie came out a long time ago called The Wizard of Oz. Has anybody seen that before? <laughs> the whole idea about The Wizard of Oz. Is he really this great and all-powerful Oz? Was, what is he really? All right, this guy behind the curtain. 
right? So the whole thing, Toto comes along and grabs it. I think it's Toto that comes along, grabs it and pulls that curtain back to reveal what is really there. The book of Revelation, in a way, so there's another way to think about it, one way it can be read is which it, the curtain is being pulled back and this great, all-powerful force that you seem can, will never be defeated <coughs> to expose it to what it really is. Small and temporary. Something that does not last. So the book of Revelation pulls back the curtain on the empire of Rome to give hope to those people that need hope. And again, how did that book of Revelation end? Revelation 21 and 22. Hope. Mourning, death, crying, and pain will be no more. He will wipe every tear from your eye. God's home will be among the mortals. Our life here as Christians is not about how do we escape this place to go somewhere else because we're just on this path of destruction, so let's make sure we jump ship before it goes under. Rather, our hope, God is coming to restore, renew, has come in Christ, and it has begun, will come in Christ to bring it to fulfillment. We are in this in-between time. Our job is to live as if the end has already come, knowing it is not quite here yet. Does that make sense? This now, but not yet time. We know how the story ends, but we still have to live it. <laughs> That's where we're at. And it provides hope for people throughout the centuries. So I want to end with this story, not this story, this quote from Martin Luther King Jr., in which he talks about this ending from Revelation 21. Thank God for John who centuries ago out on a lonely, obscure island called Patmos caught vision of a new Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God, who heard a voice saying, Behold, I make all things new. Former things are passed away. God grant that we will be participants in this newness. If we will but do it, we will bring about a new day of justice and brotherhood and peace. And that day the morning stars will sing together. That's the sermon for this week. We hope from it you learned a bit more about God's love for you and the world. Please subscribe and rate our podcast to help us be found by and reach more people. Thanks for listening, and don't forget, you are loved.